turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I, I want to say thank you again to Daryl Smith and Jeffrey Singletary um, for preaching in my absence. I was at student camp with our middle school and high schoolers and then uh, went on vacation last week. And um, I appreciate uh, them filling in the pulpit. And uh, um, understand my heart when I say this. I, I, I asked, uh, I think it's very important that uh, we get to hear the gospel and see the gospel preached by not only people who are different than us, but people who are the same as us. And I think it's very important that we sit under teaching of a variety of styles and, and such. And so um, I was very grateful uh, for Daryl and for Jeffrey Singletary coming and preaching the word. And uh, they did a phenomenal job. And, and uh, there's there like a, a, a ballot going around on whether they should be the lead pastor. But I'm going to thwart that. I'm going to thwart those things. Uh, I'm going to fight them for it. No, but they did a great job. I had a chance to talk to both of them. And uh, they were appreciative of, of you as a family. And um, I was just grateful to hear great things about their preaching. And uh, um, you know, we take that very seriously. It's a big deal to hand off the, the pulpit, if you will. This isn't my pulpit. It's, it's God's. But, but trusting people to preach God's word rightly. And I, they did a great job. And I was, I was thankful for that. I hope they were a blessing. So... Uh, I tried to get them to preach this section of Scripture, and neither one of them bid on it. Neither one of them wanted to teach about believers and their posture towards government. I don't know why, um, but they did not. And so I'm going to jump in it, and I'm, I'm happy to do so. A couple weeks ago, remember, we talked about having a pilgrim mentality. Peter is writing to believers who are outside of their homeland. They're sojourning. They're, they're, they're aliens, they're strangers, they're foreigners. And, and Peter is writing to them to, to be concerned about how they live as they sojourn, as they wonder, as they're in a foreign land. Be concerned, be careful, be mindful of how you live. We looked a couple weeks ago that we ought to be mindful as believers about what our lives are saying about the church's reputation about who our great God is. Our lives matter. We, we should take thought as to how the world sees us as believers, how they see our, our language and our, our lives and how we love our wives and how we raise our children. Our, 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 we'll get into it next week, our work ethic. Our, our role is, in a couple weeks, we'll look at our role of, of wives and the role of husbands. And all of those things are in the context of declaring the excellencies of our God. Your, your work ethic, your role as a husband, your role as a wife, your role as a student, your role as a friend, your role, uh, uh, all your roles, they matter. That in, in verse 12, we said 11 and 12 were really the hinge that, that the book swings on. And he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. People are watching. We were at the, the beach this week and we, we uh, go to the same place the same week every year and you build relationships with people. And, and I was talking to a family this week who usually has our week, but they got the later week, like we got the later week. And I introduced myself, and they said, oh, we know who you are. You know who I am. She said, oh, yeah, we, we've seen you down here for years. We watch you. We've been watching you. And, and they commented on, on Jimmy and they commented on me and just playing with our kids and, and relating to other people and our wives. I, I was blown away. I, I thought I was just meeting these people and they've been watching. They were watching. They live in Pennsylvania. We see them once a week. They were watching. You think about students. You think about the kids in your schools. The kids you go to class with every day. They're watching. 
moms, dads at work. There's a world watching. In your neighborhoods, they're watching. You know, they're, they're seeing you even every on Sunday mornings. I wonder if they're going to go to, I bet some of them are watching. They going to church today? They're watching. And, and, and what, what Peter is writing about is there ought, to be, there ought to be something weird. There ought to be something out of this world. That word means supernatural. It means uncanny. There ought to be something. There ought to be more than just something. There ought to be a lot of some things that are uncanny about our lives as believers. Weird. We, we ought to stand out in, in, in a way that says, man, students, why, you know, in the way we respond to our teachers, in the way that you respect your other students, in the way you serve other classmates, in your, in your punctuality to class, in your taking your assignments seriously, in the way you talk about other students, in the way you talk about your teachers, in the way even next week we talk about government teachers, or I mean, this week we're talking about government, hello. Even, even you're submitting to your teachers. You're submitting to your parents. They're an authority over you. The world's watching. And, and through our lives, we declare something about the greatness of our God or we declare something about what we believe about the lack of greatness about our God. And Peter said two weeks ago, two things, abstain from lusts that wage war against your... Abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against your soul. Abstain. Flee. That's one of the ways, clearly, we're different. But also, he says, keep your behavior excellent. I mean, students, you ought to be exemplary students in your schools. That doesn't mean getting straight A's. That, that means in, in, in your behavior, in your total lifestyle, as a Christian, you ought to be exemplary. Workers, moms, dads, employees, employers, you ought to be exemplary as a Christian. You ought to stand out. And we'll talk about it specifically in, in verse 18 next week, but how our work ethic matters. Today, it's our attitude towards government. And there's two extremes. We'll see it. One is to put all our hope in the government. The other is to, to alienate ourselves and just re rebel from the government. Neither one are right. And, and Peter is, is beginning in verse 13. Listen, I, 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 all week, I, I would about 3 o'clock, I had had my fill of the sun and just and people, and just wanted to go get alone, and I would just meditate on these passages, and these are, the, what we are about to enter into, I'm telling you, are hard passages. These are passages that are going to confront our flesh in every way, every way. They're going to fight our flesh. Our natural flesh is going to fight what we see in the Scriptures. And, and we've got to keep it in mind the why. The why is not about our comfort. It's not about our ease. It's not about our earthly success. The why is to declare the excellencies of the one who has called us out of the domain of darkness into his kingdom of marvelous light. The why behind everything is to glorify our king. No matter what it costs. I mean, Daniel sang about it this morning, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You, you, I, I'll, my, my tendency is to make this world my home. My tendency, I think you would agree, you would agree in yourselves, it's to, it's to settle down too much here in a foreign land. It's to make it about me. It's not about me. We exist to declare the excellencies of our King. We, we, we are to tell the world through our lives, to show the world through our lives, what our kingdom, what the kingdom of our Lord is like. We're giving them a taste. 
to tell them, this is what my homeland is like. You want to go there? Let me tell you how to go there. It's through Jesus. Give them a glimpse. And, and what is going to bind, keep this in mind, what, what's going to bind the, the, all of these passages for the, for the next few weeks, the, the thing that's going to bind all of this is submission. Submission. Submission to government. Submission to even unruly, ungodly bosses. Submission to husbands. Submitting to wives in the sense that you're living with them in an understanding way. Submission. And, and listen, even that, our flesh hates that word. Submission. And yet that, that is the thing that is going to bind. That is the verb in the Greek, if you will, not to go too deep. But the, that's the same, Peter is going to use the same verb over and over and over again in all the context that he talks about. And it's this, submit. Submit. Every single one of us in here are called to submission. And in today's context, it's specifically to government. The government has authority over us. Not ultimately, but while we're living in the land. And, and Peter is going to answer the question, how do we as believers respond to the authority that's over us in the form of government? Since this isn't our home, we're aliens here, we're sojourners here, okay, how do we respond to government? And Peter's going to answer that question. And he's going to answer it very satisfactorily. And I believe the Scriptures answer that question very satisfactorily. We'll see it. And the main point, you'll, you'll see there on your handout, try to, verses 13 through 17, try to boil it down to a, to a main point, and we'll build on this, even though we as believers are citizens of another land and we serve a different king. We have a responsibility to maintain a posture that seeks to submit ourselves to governing authorities in the land that we dwell. And we do that understanding that it is God whom ultimately we serve. We submit to the authority that rules this land in which we dwell. Ultimately, in doing that, we're submitting to our king. And, and I worded that very carefully because there will be times, and we're going to talk about it today, that you simply cannot obey your government. We see that all throughout Scripture. There, if, if they ask you to do something that is contrary to the Word, you can't submit to them. But you can have a posture that seeks to submit to them. As much as you're able. And I would say the same thing even to wives. Your husband may be rebellious. Your husband may be an unbeliever. You can maintain a posture that seeks to submit to them as much as you're humanly possible, as much as the Word allows. It's a posture. It's an attitude. It's a disposition that says, look, I want to submit to you. To the glory of my King, I want to, but, but I'm not able right now because it'd be violation of the Word. And that's challenging. And we've got a lot in verses 13 through 17, a lot to unpack, but I'm trying to set the stage because, again, what we're going to see over the next few weeks are going to be very challenging passages. Government, specifically today, government politics. I mean, there's, what, 180 of us in here today? I guarantee you there's 179 opinions. Everybody in this room, look, we, we, even though we're, you know, most of us in here, I'm going to assume for a moment we're believers, we don't see eye to eye on government. We don't see eye to eye on politics. But listen, we do see eye to eye on Jesus Christ. We do see eye to eye on the gospel. And I would challenge us as we look at these passages, hang in there. Try to set aside your personal feelings. Try to set aside personal agendas. 
and allow the word of God to speak. Do not we the challenge in these passages is us to sit under the word of God. We want to sit over the word of God. We want to come up with all these what ifs to get out of it. No, no, no. A posture that seeks to obey the government as much as we can. And we'll, we'll hopefully I'll help us understand why as we unpack this. But even, even in our submission, even in our submission to understand how we can use conversations about government, conversations about politics to transition to the gospel to help share with people the hope that we have in our true king. We, we can take all these conversations, any conversation, we ought to be able to transition it to the gospel and make it a gospel-centered conversation. Why can we submit to an unruly king? Because I have a king one day that's coming back, that's going to usher in a kingdom, that's going to undo all the unruliness, all the sin that we see today. Jesus is one day going to come back and he's going to undo all of it. And Peter says you have a living hope, believer, a living hope that allows you to wait, to even endure, to even suffer. We have a living hope that allows us to wait. You see the, you see the transition to the gospel? There's always a transition to the gospel. There's always a transition to the, to the greatness of Jesus Christ. Why? The why is this, because I, my hope is not in a president. It doesn't matter who's elected. He's not my ultimate king. I'll submit to him, but he's not my hope. Doesn't matter. I have a king that one day has promised to come back. That's our hope. Look, look at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves to God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The first thing that I think Peter wants us to see here that, that, that helps unpack our main point, you'll see it on your handout there, the overarching posture of a believer is that we are to be submissive to the authority that is governing us, regardless of how good or bad that authority is. And, I, and I, I'm going to try to answer our que- a bunch of questions today, but I'm sure I won't answer all of them. Feel free to email me. We can engage in in a conversation, but make sure it's biblical. I I would argue that's why we have grow groups at 11. We have more than capable, not to put it on them, but we have more than capable teachers at 11 o'clock that answer your questions as well. We've structured many of those classes to try to flesh out what we learn here because I can't unpack everything in 45 minutes at least. Go to a grow group. Work it out amongst fellow believers. But listen, we, we, our posture, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Our posture, first and foremost, you see it. It's Jesus whom we alone serve. And it's Jesus who we are ultimately submitting to when we submit to our governing authorities. And Paul, Peter is saying that. Paul says this in Romans 13. We have to look through our governing authority to see that it's ultimately Jesus whom we are submitting to. Every person, Romans 13, 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Listen, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good." 
But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God. You see how many times he says it's a minister of God? An avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to what is due to them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to who custom to do is due. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. I would argue that Peter and Paul are saying the exact same thing here, that submitting to authority, in this instance governing authority, is a matter of ultimately submitting to God. For they, no authority, Paul says it very clearly, no authority exists except that which is from God. So when you rebel, unnecessarily, Without cause, you're ultimately rebelling against God. There is no authority that exists except that which God has allowed to exist. That's why if we were to go to, to 1 Timothy chapter 2, for all, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil life in godliness and dignity. You see how it's related back to our testimony in the world. You go to Titus chapter 3. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. When men will be lovers of self, he goes on and to say all these things. But he says that they, re that they rebel against authority. And all of that is in the context of our witness before a watching world. It doesn't mean... What this doesn't mean is that God approves of their actions. It does mean that God is sovereign and He uses even bad kings to further His purposes. I, uh, the Babylonians, for instance, it says that they were a ungodly... Uh, the Babylonians were an ungodly people, an ungodly nation, and yet it says they were, and this is a quote, servants of God to execute His wrath. God used the Babylonians. He used them also, you go to Isaiah, to punish those who were doing evil. God used them. And yet, they were also punished by God for their own evil. Go, go with me, turn with me to Isaiah real quick. Isaiah chapter 10, just for a minute, to look at this, uh, to read a, a passage that, that shows this as well. Isaiah chapter 10, it'll be on, your hand, on your, the, the screens there. Listen to, what, listen to what Isaiah says as well about Assyria, again, an ungodly nation being God's instrument. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against a godly nation and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Yet it does so, but it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather it is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. Go down to verse 12. So it will be that when the Lord has completed all His work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, He will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. For He has said, By the power of my hand and by the wisdom I did this, for I have understanding, and I removed the boundaries of the people and plundered their treasures. Like a mighty man, I brought down their inhabitants. And my hand reached to the riches of the people like a nest, and the one that gathers abandoned eggs, and I gathered all the earth. And there was not one of them that flapped its wing or opened its beak or chirped. Assyria is boasting about things they did not ultimately do. And he says, is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Do you see what God is saying there? He uses even ungodly leaders. Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it, or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. Therefore, the Lord, the God of hosts, will send a, a wasting disease among his stout warriors, and under his glory a fire will be kindled like a burning flame. Ultimately, it was the sovereignty of God doing that. You go to the book of Habakkuk. God's people have sinned greatly. He raises up the Chaldeans to punish his people. And then he punishes the Chaldeans for punishing his people. 
Think about that one for a minute. But God is sovereign. There's no authority that exists except that exists under his sovereignty. Even Peter writes in 1 Peter, he's writing under a rule in Rome that was terrible. I mean, no matter how bad you think we may have it today, I promise you it was worse in Peter's day. And yet he says, submit. The posture of believers to the ruling authority was to submit to that leader of the land, and the land in which they dwelt. And, and Peter says top down. I mean, not only the king, but the governors. He's, he's layering the roles of authority here, and he's saying your posture is submit. And, and it's the posture of submission. Again, as I said, if you look in verse, verse 18... Uh, chapter of chapter two, you look at three one, you look at three seven. The same root Greek word in all those contexts, Peter uses the same word: submit. Verse eighteen: Servants, be submissive. Wives, be submissive. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Say all the same word. Submission. All the context that we see, it's going to go back, believers, submit to the authority that's over you. And you see it on your handout. What, what Peter is saying, what the Word says, is that submission is to be the general posture of God's people towards authority as a way of making much of Jesus before a watching world. The general posture, submit. And before a watching world, that's going to be weird. Weird. And it's going to take the Holy Spirit in you to do that. God has called believers out of this world in order to serve Him, in order to glorify Him before a watching world. We are to display the rule and the character of our King and His kingdom before a watching world. And one of the ways we do that is by submitting even to authority that we disagree with of maintaining a posture that seeks to submit. Again, and look at what he says in verse 13. Who's this for? It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Again, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Even submitting to rulers that you disagree with for the Lord's sake. We, we can submit even to bad rulers because again, and here's where the gospel comes in and how our submission leads to the gospel because we have been adopted by the king of kings who ultimately rules and is bringing all things to his intended purpose. He is literally carrying all things to his appointed end. We trust in a God that is sovereign. We have a responsibility, undoubtedly. But again, our hope and our inheritance is not of this world. We await the return of our true king. And in that, we have a living hope that allows us to submit to earthly kings. Because ultimately, it's our king who has established all authority, the Bible says. And you've got to see how our submission, again, how it's linked to the gospel. This is huge. It boils down to faith. It boils down to faith. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please God, for, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith. My submitting to government, even government that I disobey, is a matter of faith. It's a matter of seeking to honor my king. And, and Peter, so he, he's very... I'm always amazed as you read this and as you dig into the Greek, you realize, obviously, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how crafty and, and skilled these letters are written. Because Peter, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The word there that Peter uses for institution, it literally means creature. And, and he is subtly saying to his followers, to his readers, the exact same thing that Paul said. Listen, this person that's ruling Rome is merely a creature created by God. He's a creature. He's not to be worshipped. He's not to be idolized. 
He is a creature created by God. He exists under the authority of the one who created him. Again, even the Roman emperor existed under the lordship of Peter's and his readers. God was created by him. Therefore, he says, submit to him. Not worshipped. Submitted to. And, and what Peter is saying, again, that jive that just battles with our flesh, you see it on a handout, that believers are to give up striving for power and authority over others and rather submit to the Lord's rule by submitting to them. Not to say we don't get involved in government, not to say we don't get involved in influencing those things, but, but again, this isn't our home. This is not our home. This is never going to be our home. It's never going to rival our home. No matter who's in charge, or from an earthly perspective. Government has a valid and a necessary God-appointed purpose. Again, to punish those for doing what is evil. You think about it in your school, students, your principal. He has a valid, she or she has a valid purpose to maintain order, to follow guidelines. Authority has a good, God-intended purpose. And, and, and we're going to get into it in a minute, but our flesh will jump in to say, well, I don't, ad- I don't agree with him, so I don't have to obey him. That's not what Peter says. We'll get to it next week, but look at verse 18, talking about masters, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Again, that's weird. That, that takes a spirit empowerment to do that. Again, we, we, we need even bad government. And again, hear me. Even bad government is better than no government at all. I promise you. And, and we see that throughout the Bible. And thus, the, the spirit of the word is, believers, submit. Submit to those who are in authority. It doesn't matter if you like them or not. It doesn't matter if you voted for them or not. It doesn't matter if you agree with them on everything or not. We are to pursue a posture that seeks to submit. And that's weird. You know? I mean, I'm not trying to get in trouble, but I see these bumper stickers. Not my president. Listen, if you're a citizen of the United States, he's your president. I don't care if you voted for him or not. He's your president. The one before him was your president. The one before him was your president. The one before him. And listen, the next one's going to be your president, and the next one's going to be your president. And all throughout all those presidents, guess who my king is? Jesus Christ. Guess who my ultimate authority is? Jesus Christ. Guess where my ultimate allegiance is? Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter. And for the Lord's sake, I'm going to seek to obey them as far as I can, again, so that the world will see the greatness of my king. How can I endure? Because I have a king that's coming back. I have a king that has promised me that he'll never leave me or forsake me, that, that, that he is for me, not against me, and that, that I overcome no matter what, even my own death, I win. The gospel provides that. And again, Paul, Peter is so careful to say, again, these are creatures. They're not to be worshipped. They're to be submitted to. And that leads into the next question. Well, how far do we submit? How far do we go? How far does their authority go? And again, Peter says, for the Lord's sake. And he does that for very specific reasons. Our, our goal, even in our submission to authority, is to glorify the Lord. If we, if, again, if, if we are called, and that's, that's point two, believers remember, Christ is our ultimate authority. And as such, our allegiance is to him above all, all else, thus limiting our submission to that which does not directly contradict the word. For the Lord's sake, can I do this to the glory of the Lord? We are to pursue things that glorify the Lord even through our submission. And we have numerous examples of this. Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach immediately came to mind as I was studying this. They served, they were exiles. And they served their foreign king. 
And yet, when they were asked to bow down and worship him, guess what they did? They, they refused. Even to the point of their own attempted execution. Their allegiance to their earthly king had limits. And, and they in themselves are an illustration of not only point one, but point two. I mean, you go to, we'll go there in a minute, but even in Jeremiah, as, as he's telling them you're going to go in exile, he gives very clear instructions. You see, all throughout the, the Bible, God's people submitting to human authorities, even in exile, up to the point where they were asked to do something in violation of the word. In Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's case, it was bow down to me. Bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And do not worship your own God. The leaders in their day, even the leaders in Peter's day, they wanted to be worshipped. Listen, our leaders today, we have a tendency today to worship our leaders, to establish them as idols. Idolatry, again, idolatry of leaders and that false worship did not go away in the Old Testament. And, and I'll offer you a couple, of, uh, a couple of suggestions here. You see on your handout ways that we blur the line that our ultimate hope is in the Lord by, by really idolicizing earthly leaders. And, and we, we falsely worship our leaders, and it compromises the fact, it compromises our weirdness, but it compromises the fact that our allegiance is ultimately in Christ alone. One of them being when we promote a particular leader or party as the answer to society's problems. They're not the answer to society's problems. Jesus Christ is the answer. The forgiveness of sin is the answer. Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. You and I, because of Adam and, e and through Adam and Eve and them eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, listen, all sin is rooted in the fact that you and I want to determine for ourselves what is good and what is evil. We do not want to submit to what God has said is good and what is evil. We want to define it. We want to determine it. We, we want our own, own say-so. That's the root of all sin. Self. I want to determine for myself what is good and what... We want to determine, we want to determine what marriage is today. We want, to read, we want to define it ourselves. We want to define our own sexuality. We want to define everything according to our wisdom. That's the root of all sin. And it always has been. The, the problems, the things that we're dealing with in our culture today, listen, they've been dealing with them for thousands of years. Because sin. Go back to the Old Testament. You, you're not going to make enough rules that mitigate sin. Sin. Jesus Christ is the answer. And we, idolat we idolatize leaders when we put our hope in them to think that, oh, if we just get the right leader in place, everything's going to be great. It won't be. There's a leader coming that everything's going to be great. Listen to me. His name is Jesus. And until then, it's going to get worse, the Bible says. And we have to be careful as Christians that we don't put our hope in a party or a person. Our hope is in Jesus. But we, we, also, we also idolicize leaders when we sacrifice time, money, and resources to a particular party, but neglect the advancement of the gospel. Luke 12, 34 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we're more excited about a person being elected than we are about the advancement of the gospel, we've got a problem. Bottom line, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thirdly, when we fear that electing the wrong person will somehow rival God's authority over all creation and everything's going to fall apart. Oh, if we don't get this right, it's all going to fall apart. We have a God who is sovereign. Go back to Colossians 1. He is carrying all things to an appointed time in history that has already been set and it will get there. He has guaranteed it. 
Do we do our part? We definitely do our part. It doesn't mean we just throw our hands back and not get involved, but we also don't trust ultimately that that one particular person is going to usher in the hope that only Jesus is going to usher in. J.C. Ryle said this, the best of men are merely men at their very best. But so too are the worst of men. We care. But, but you see it on your handout. We have to remember that our hope is in King Jesus, not an earthly king. Our leaders are mere creatures. We've got to remember what Daniel said in Daniel 2.21. He, the, talking about the Lord, listen, it says he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. What is Daniel saying? The exact same thing that Peter and Paul said. There is no authority exists except which is under God. God is the one pulling the strings, if you want to say that. And our true allegiance, you see it on your handout, is to God. And therefore, our worship and hope alone is in God for all things. We exist for His sake. We are here for the advancement of the gospel, not some mere creature's agenda. And we have to resist putting our hope in creatures. And listen... There was a day in Peter's day. There's a day in our day. You look at other countries, pastors are being put in jail for preaching the word of God all over the world. People are, people are thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians are killed every day, every week, every month, all over the world for preaching the gospel. For, for, for refusing to shut up, for refusing to not speak the gospel. And listen, even in Peter's day, that was the challenge. Look at Acts 5. And I, 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 love, I love the book of Acts and just to see the boldness. But in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, it talks about the, the disciples. It says, when they had brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, Listen, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross, he is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as the prince and the savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. Listen to what he says. He said to the men, Men of Israel, they ask the disciples to leave. And he says, listen here, guys. Take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theotis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group for about 100 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else even you may be found fighting against God. How about that? How about that? They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. They literally beat them to a pulp. That's what it means to be flogged. Not a slap on the hand. They flogged them. Ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Listen to this. So, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame of his name. Think about that. When persecuted, they did not shut up. They spoke up. 
That, that's exactly what Paul talked about in Colossians 1.24, that he could continue to, to fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. The, the reality is this. The gospel has not thrived under prosperity. The gospel has thrived under persecution. And these men, these men rejoiced. Verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That, that's, that's dumbfounding to me. It's convicting how quickly, how quickly I'll shut up. It's convicting how quickly I'll clam up, how quickly I'll, I'll live in silence in front of, because I want to please men. And Bible is saying, don't worry about the fear of men. You fear God who, don't, do not fear men who is able to destroy your body. You fear God who is able to destroy your body and your soul. And we've been given a gospel that is the cure. It's the gospel. And God has dispersed His soldiers all over this planet not to shut up, but to speak up. Even, even if it costs us our lives. That's why you live in your neighborhood. That's why you're at your school. That's why you're at your place of employment. That's why you're on your sports team. That's why you're in your hobby. That's why you're in your, everywhere. To preach the gospel. You've been dispersed all over this world by your king to preach the gospel, no matter what. I mean, Peter stood before the most important, powerful court in the land. By the way, the same court that just crucified his Savior. And said, listen, I'll obey you as far as you, as far as you don't call me to contradict my God. And if you call me to contradict my God, I'm staying with my God. And if you tell me to shut up and not preach the gospel, I simply cannot obey you. And come what may, I'm going to preach the gospel. The history, of our, the history of this world is full of examples. It's full of believers who had that same faith. I remember as a young boy sitting in my bedroom, reading The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom. Risked their lives. To stand up to, to Hitler. To hide Jews. To preach the gospel. I, I read a book recently about Dr. Martin Luther King. Who stood up against racism and wrote from a, a Birmingham jail. After he was arrested for proclaiming the gospel and standing up for truth. We are to support our government, but our government... Jeffrey Singletary came down off the pulpit, I heard, so I can do the same. But our, our, our support has limits. And when we've got to choose, listen to me, our allegiance is to Christ. And as Christians, you see it on your handout, we are, we, are, we are to obey all governing authorities. But as God's people, if there is ever a conflict between human authority and our heavenly authority, we choose God over man regardless of the costs. Regardless. And that's always been the case. The gospel guides, but it fuels this tension. And I, and I would ask us, I was asking myself at the beach, you know, in your neighborhood, do they know you're a believer? At your workplace, do they know you're a believer undoubtedly, unashamedly? In your schools, do they know you're a believer? On your sports teams, do they know that you're a believer? Are, are, have you ever been exiled for be, ever being a believer? Have you ever been ridiculed for being a believer? Have you ever been, been, been an outcast, been ostracized because you're a believer? If the answer to that is no, or the answer to that is rarely, listen to me, this is what God shared with me this week. We've got to ask ourselves some hard questions. Why not? Why not? Because all throughout history, Christians have been ostracized. Why not? It might be that we're not weird. 
It might be that we fit in too well. It might be that we seek to please men more than we seek to please God. On our campuses, on our teams. Listen, there's a challenge even in this pulpit to, to take these passages and water them down so that everybody will like me. We won't ruffle any feathers. I won't get any emails, all that. I can't. The Spirit will not let me do that. And I pray that it never will. The, these truths are conf- they're, they're challenging. But this is what God desires for His people. Ultimately, we do whatever it takes to glorify our Lord. For the sake of our Lord. We are not here to be men-pleasers. We are here to be God-pleasers. And why is this important? Because even in our doing good, listen, we will suffer. Even if we obey the Lord, listen, that doesn't mean we won't suffer. But our allegiance has limitations. Our, our obedience has limitations. Our ultimate authority is to God. Thirdly, by being, outside, out, by being outstanding citizens and using our freedoms rightly for God's glory, we glorify our king and silence accusations against us. Peter says that in verse 15, For such is the will of God, but by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and yet do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it for bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Again, the reputation, we talked about this, of, of Christians, of our king, are, are, it's in our hands, if you will. We're proclaiming His excellencies through how we live. And and Peter uses, again, so much of Jesus' teaching. He says exactly, listen, exactly what Jesus said in Luke 6.35. He says, Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil Men, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Peter's saying, you have a responsibility. Listen, that's why we paint schools. That's why we tutor. That's why we do the food pantry. That's why we do school supplies in our schools. July 28th at Martinez, we're going to go and we're going to do some landscaping there at Martinez Middle School and we're going to paint their locker rooms. Ask, ask my son who goes there why those locker rooms need to be repainted. Why, why do we do that? So that the world has nothing bad to say about us. They may not like our gospel. They may not agree with our gospel. But listen, they cannot malign our gospel. So that we'll silence the ignorance of foolish, those Christians. Listen, what they ought to say is, I don't, I don't like that church. I don't know about them. But those jokers serve. You need something done, they'll do it all to the glory of God for the Lord's sake. So that they'll have nothing bad to say about our king. We engage in things that society would deem good. And thus we promote our God's reputation. And silence the ignorance of foolish men. You see it on your handout. Though we are free in Christ, we voluntarily submit ourselves to authority in order that we would glorify our king. Again, these things matter. We're not set free to live for self. We're set free to glorify our king. Even in exile. And and this is why I love, I, I mentioned it earlier in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 29, he is exiling his people as he promised them because of their sin. He is telling them, you're going into exile. You're going to be under a, a, a bad ruler. And here's what he says. Listen to Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. They didn't get to Babylon on accident. God sovereignly put them there because of sin, their own sin. Look what he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek 
the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. You, you see the kind of citizens we're to be? We're to administrate on behalf of our Lord. We're to live as citizens in exile to the glory of our Lord. We're to keep spreading, sending out more soldiers into the land to the glory of our Lord. That's clearly God's will. Submit to the authority, be great citizens. But use your freedom in order to glorify God and not serve yourself. Everything goes back to verse 13, for the Lord's sake. You see it in your handout. Our freedom in Christ is not a freedom to sin, nor is it a freedom from responsibility. It's a freedom to serve God and others in ways that we could not before. That's what we've seen over and over. Go back to Exodus 8, Exodus 9. I'm going to set my people free. Why? So that they may serve me. Serve me. And our disposition, again, you see it on a handout, is to be that which seeks the good, when at all possible, of, the, of our society so the world has nothing bad to say about us. Not isolation, engagement of the world for the gospel's sake. It's God's will that we be engaged in activities that make much of Him. And to use our freedom to His glory. John Calvin said this, and I'll close real quick. I've spoke too long. Christianity is a free servitude and a serving freedom. Think about that. Christianity is a free servitude and a serving freedom. You see it there. We have been set free as believers from our former way of life so that we can become slaves of God and live in obedience to Him rather than our former way of life. In our freedom, we have become slaves of another king. Understand, that's weird. In your freedom, you have become slaves to another king. You're here to exist to you are you exist to declare his excellencies. And Peter closes by giving really three kind of comprehensive truths here. The first thing he says in verse 17, honor everyone. Romans 13 talks about that. Give honor to whom honor is due. Human bearings human beings bear God's image and are to be honored where honor is due. Treat them as valuable, it means of worth, as God created them. But also love fellow believers. We'll jump into this in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. But the mark, John 13, 34, the clear mark of a believer is to love one another. Thirdly, fear God. Fear God. You and I have to grasp what, what the Jews grasp, and that is God is in control of all of history, and he even uses ungodly rulers to do his will. It doesn't mean that he approves of his way of their ways. It doesn't mean that he won't punish them one day, but it doesn't mean also that they're outside of his purpose. God has not lost control. He is totally in control. And his people can rest assured that one day, God holds a day out in the future that his truth is marching on and he's carrying everything to that intended day and he will make it right. And until that day, listen, we march on faithfully. Until that day, we submit to whomever God has placed over us for our good and to his glory. And even in those leaders who do not do what is good, our sovereign God knows what is good. He knows what he's doing. He's not, he doesn't waste suffering, and he doesn't waste government appointments. March on, believer. Because he lives, we have a living hope. We, we can face anything we face in this life because he lives and is sovereign. Use the time that we have to make much of our king. Use your freedom to make much of our king, to share the kingdom that he is bringing with him when he returns, that is going to undo everything that sin has done. That's our hope. And that's the hope that the gospel alone of Jesus Christ, the, that alone offers. And I would beg you, if you've never been reconciled to that king, to Jesus Christ, be reconciled today. Turn from your sin. Look to the cross. 
Repent of your sin. Trust the blood of Jesus Christ to cover your sin, to cleanse you. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And if you're a believer here today, live for the glory of our King. Repent, repent of trusting in worldly things and worldly people, mere creatures, instead of trusting in our King. Our hope is in our King, and our King alone.